Hello, welcome to Gabbing and Running with me, Gabriella. And me, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Do you want to say more about that, Rowan? <laughs> it's one thing for it to happen once, but twice, it's a bit too much. In the same day? In the same day, in the same half hour. I'm at the grocery store, just minding my own business, didn't ask for nothing. You know, didn't ask for trouble. I'm looking like my normal self. You can look at my Instagram. I feel like I'm a normal looking guy. Mm-hmm. And a kid behind me in the dairy aisle says to his mum, Mummy, why is the Prime Minister at the grocery store? Why is the Prime Minister in <laughs> Victoria? Well, I guess he didn't have an English accent probably, did he? No, I didn't have <laughs> that's all my accent. And mum's like, oh, that's not the Prime Minister. That's just, that's just some man. That's just, don't worry about him. And then I go to pay. I'm like, oh, well, that's funny. Whatever. And then I go to pay for my groceries. And the cashier goes, huh, you look kind of like our prime minister. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like, what's the practical joke? And then you went to the bakery and they were like, God save the king. <laughs> <laughs> they were too. So it was a weird day for me. It was a weird day for me. I don't want to grocery shop for a while now. That's enough of that. Thank you very much. Anyways, so for this episode... <laughs> For this episode, we're going to be talking... Oh, do you want to say something more? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Rowan. I'm Rowan DeBuse Stafford. I'm not Justin Trudeau. Yeah, Rowan DeBuse Stafford. Your husband. My husband. Support person extraordinaire. Not, lovely voice, lovely hair. You do funny. have good hair. <laughs> <laughs> nice hair, though. Oh, anyways. I can I can see... Well, I mean, you're both, like, good-looking people, so there you go. We're white. We're tall white guys with brown hair. White guys, you know, they all look the same, yeah. so... <laughs> anyway, so this week we're going to be talking about our favourite parts of the track season that was, this outdoor track season. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Eugene. That's not favouritism or anything like that, but just... It is the World Championships, so... Unsurprisingly, the best track meet is the track me with the most talent so mm-hmm. and immediately after we start or stopped recording this episode we realized that we forgot one of our all-time favorite moments marco a in the 800s bronze in the world champs 800 meter and then backing that up with oh so close to a diamond league title so close but just got pipped by manual career but honestly, so much fun watching. So him much this fun season. to watch because we both were there. Were you there live at the track for World Indoors in Belgrade for his race? No, I was back at the hotel. That was that was that was pretty devastating. You know, he was he was looking so good through the rounds, was charging to the front, literally, but re- literally led the whole the race, whole the whole seven hundred meters. Like no, 70... the seven hundred and fifty meters because it's an indoor track. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Until like the last sixty meters. And you could just tell he was tying up, and he tied up hard and went from first to last, which is six people, so it's smaller because it's an indoor track. But that was really hard to watch, and it was it was especially hard to watch because you could see that he was so close, and he had it, and he had the fitness, he had the confidence in the race execution, just couldn't put it all together. And so it was so awesome to see that he, you know, went home, put in the work, came out still hungry, hungrier than ever, and throughout the rounds, it was so amazing to watch because he definitely looked the best out of everybody. He looked the smoothest. He looked like he just, whenever he would make a move from like mid back of the pack in the heats or the semis, he would go straight to the front in just such a decisive, and you think about how fast they're going and he would just pass everybody and just like leave them in, in his dust. So that was a very, very fun medal to see him get 
and we're big fans, Marco, so congrats to you. And also, by the time this comes out, it's going to be very close to his birthday. Oh, really? So Happy birthday! Oh my so gosh, Virgo twins! Happy in advance <laughs> birthday to Marco. It's his birthday on the 20th. And he's only turning 24, guys. Damn, Watch out, he's world. so young. He's only 24, and he's already got second in the Diamond League and a world bronze to his name. So I'm really excited to see what he does next. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to be talking for the rest of the podcast about our favorite moments from the season. We're going to get into it with names. We're going to get into it with races. If possible, we're going to link any races we cite. If they're up on YouTube, we'll try to check a link, a link in the notes if gabrielle is able to do that she's, if i have the patience <laughs> she's the host producer editor uh, director co-host yeah you definitely drive your track, track nerdiness definitely drives this podcast because you know the details i'm a big picture gal you know what i mean yeah i just show up at the track and do do put my head down do the hard work you're the one who keeps track of all the names and numbers but i'll take i'll give you the youtube links okay thank you well We'll put some. We'll put uh, videos of some of the races in the show notes, and that, a link to Team Ingebrigtsen, which we talk about as well. <laughs> exactly, and a playlist of the whole Team Ingebrigtsen TV show, just so you can like, oh, you know, maybe you missed the women's ten thousand, or maybe you listen to us because you like Gabriella, but you've actually haven't watched any tracks this season, you know, or Rowan, or you listen because you like Rowan. Yeah, maybe you're like one of my two friends, and cheering for me is a gateway drug. If you're a friend of yours to being a track fan, we like we've seen that. Exactly. <laughs> so if you were just dipping your toes into the track world and like, who the heck's this guy? What makes Jakob so special? What was so fun about the Tessabet Gide and Gudef Sagai in the 5,000? Well, well, we'll put some links in there. And heck, if you know exactly what we're talking about, it's an excuse just to re- rewatch some great races. Oh, so. yeah, totally. All right, well... Roll the clips! <laughs> Further ado, let's do this. Alright, and we're back for episode two of the new pod. Thanks everybody for listening to our first episode. Uh, we got some good feedback. We really appreciate you tuning in and spending some time with us. It actually did quite well, which I was impressed by. And we have one review on Apple Podcasts, so that's exciting. I should put it up later and give a shout out. And I got no hate mail, so <laughs> no, no one was like, man, Gabriella, you're great, but Ron sucks. And no one was like, both of you suck. <laughs> then no one... That's true. We yeah. are five stars, so yeah. nobody absolutely hated us right out of the gate. So that's always good. You know that there's that one shit who's listening to this right now, and they're instantly running to give us one star because they think they're funny. Don't do that. Don't do that, Marcus. <laughs> oh my god! If you give us one star, I will find you. Yeah, we'll find you. <laughs> anyway. All right. So my top one. My top one favorite moment from this track season as a fan was the world championship men's four by 100 meter where canada won the gold for the boys and, and where we somehow didn't get a noise complaint 
Oh my gosh, in yeah. Our, we, our unit. we were screaming. Screaming. Swearing. Screaming. Hollering. That third leg. Because that's when it was like, it all hits. Because at the beginning, there's staggers. Yeah, let, let, let's refresh. Okay, let's refresh. Let's refresh, right? Play by play. America, USA, dominated the individual men's 100. Mm-hmm. They went first. They went second. And they went third. Gold, silver, bronze, sweep. Sweep. Right? They are looking disgusting. Right? Then they sweep the men's 200 as well. Mm. They are looking unstoppable. They are looking ridiculous. Contrast with Canada. Who have always had a decent 4 by one team, right? But, you know, our main man, Andre de Grasse, mm-hmm. he's had COVID, he's had injuries, mm-hmm. just not looking himself this year. He pulled out of the individual events. You know, he, he's a reigning Olympic champion, didn't even try and run the 200, um, if I remember correctly. You have a better memory for these things. That sounds about right to me. Point is... He definitely pulled out of one of his individual events. I Was it both? I can't remember anymore. But he wasn't, he didn't look quite right for yeah. his individual events. So we were like, ah, Andres doesn't look great. Aaron mm. Brown, Mr. Consistency. Yeah, we can get to him. Okay, well, he was looking good. But, you know, that's like... He made the final in both events. Yes, he's awesome. Canada was very much the underdogs. Very much underdogs. And again, and then in the context of the evening, it was the final... No, it wasn't the final night. It was whatever night it was. And you had the Jamaican women who were super hyped they'd swept the 100 themselves were upset by the usa in the women's four by one so everyone's freaking out mm, true. the stadium like the chance of usa usa you know and the commentator the, the commentators on the international feed i don't know what they're doing on nbc but on the cbc feed and the world feed they were screwing up they were saying that the usa had already won on the men's side every single sprint medal thus far which mm. was not true um, foreboding foreshadowing alessandra santos had won the 400 sorry yeah. uh, alessandra santos had won the 400 meter hurdles but anyway it was a coronation and they literally described this as this is going to be the crowning moment of the ug world championships it for, was kind of a coronation for, for team usa no one had any interests no one predicted i wonder what like the odds were if you were betting let alone <laughs> on canada that canada was gonna be the ones i know that was great boom aaron brown great out of the blocks if i remember correctly it was him out of the blocks i can't remember the order i should have looked this up and then it went to blake on the second leg and that was a phenomenal second leg mm-hmm. and then it's rodney rodney great on the bend and then the grass gets it and he's right level with marvin bracy who got who meddled in the individual 100 and i thought oh well this was fun it was tight but you know bracy should smoke the grass Nuh-uh. i okay for me the moment when i was like holy shit i think canada's gonna win is the end of that third leg because that transition was so or not transition that handoff was so tight that's when you also like because at the beginning of the race like the stagger is you can't really tell who's in front right in the hurdles, you can kind of tell who's winning because, like, you see who goes over the hurdle first. But, like, in a relay, it's hard to tell. There's just so much going on. Yeah, there's a lot of carnage. And then the third leg, when he gave the baton to DeGrasse, and then DeGrasse was ahead. And then, like, after, like, 20 meters, he was still ahead. I was like, oh, shit. And, like, DeGrasse just had a little look in his face. He was like... He was so smooth. He looked he so looked so good. In, so dialed in. But the thing is, yeah, the longer it took for Bracey to get ahead, Andre's a 200 guy, so it should be easier for him to hold on. But anyway, for me, the moment where I thought something was up was when the commentator said, this is for the USA to sweep 
all the men's mm. sprint medals. Like, they already had. As soon as he said that... He was jinxing it. He was jinxing it. You can blame and that commentator. The, it's the facts as well that, yeah, the Jamaicans did the sweep and then they got upset. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like something's going to happen. But, I don't know. I, I think the USA, they... That team were given a lot of crap for not running a good race. But I don't have the stats handy. I remember at the time I looked it up. That Canadian time, right, would have been right up there in Tokyo last year. It would have been right up there in Doha. It would have been right up there in London. It would have been right up there in Rio. Like they were, it was a very, very competitive time. Mm -hmm. And I believe both were still top 20 all time. 4 by 100 times. Mm-hmm. Like, the USA didn't shit the bed. Like, no. they did fine. There were some interviews afterwards, and, you know, I don't know much about sprints, but they talked about how they had, like, really tight exchanges, so they, they handed off later than they usually would, so they went with a riskier strategy, so, like, their window of opportunity where they could have... Canada, hand- you mean. Canada yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. Canada went with a riskier strategy in the handoffs so they could maximize the amount of time that they're running at top speed and also the person who's starting gets a bigger run up mm-hmm. so that they're accelerating for more time so that when they get the baton they're running faster but that means they have to be like so tight those exchanges have to be like so good and yeah so i just think like with like the americans they went with like a safer strategy it sounds like well, there's they, something to lose yeah because right? they like ha- were the team of superstars they home, all had such amazing games. pbs home games and i think it wasn't a bad idea to go with a safer strategy but it was just like the canadian team like i think three of them they've been running together since 2015 so yeah, they just have so much team chemistry and so they were able to go with that riskier strategy. And like, that's what won them the gold was going for. And, it, and the sprinter listening to this, if they were listening, might, I might be watching that explanation. But that's what I'm getting the vibe off. Where, where it's like the Americans, there's so much turnover in that event. They don't have the same team chemistry. They don't know each other and how to like do the exchanges as well. And, you know, like the Canadian guys are quick, you know. So it was... It was Rodney who was the third. That's what you said, right? His split. Oh no, this was Blake. But just like these splits are crazy. Like 8.86 was Blake's, you know? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And the way you get that so short is by yet. Having a running start. He's at at such a high speed already when he's leaving the exchange there. I'm just looking at a CBC article. That's the only split they have here. But anyways, it's just crazy. And you could just see that, like, they have these, like, cool stats at the end. The exchange times and whatnot. And, yeah, just, like, the the time in the exchange zone for the Canadians was just, like, a lot tighter. So I feel like that's one. Anyways, it was just very cool. They all did so great. And they were so hyped afterwards, which was really fun to see, too. And it was good because... I believe I'm remembering this correctly. It was the same evening that Damien Warner, while leading the decathlon, mm. reigning Olympic champion, leading the decathlon, looking great on course for a really solid score, blows his hammy in yeah. the 400. And that was heartbreaking. And just decathlon. So you had our best gold medal ho- hopeful. You know, we, we lost him. That was a roller coaster of a day. And then karmic balance of the universe uh, gets gets back into equilibrium as. 
a gold medal that we did not expect. Mm-hmm. What was cool is like it seemed like they really believed that they would do it, which was cool to see afterwards. Ah, uh, yeah, and- Andre's saying as soon as he got the bass on, he knew he he was gonna win. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. As soon as I got it level, I knew that I was winning. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that mentality. I love the competitiveness. Yeah, but, seriously. Do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. I think I wrote down the women's 5,000 and 10,000 in Eugene. Hmm. That women's 10,000 was nutty. Do you remember that finish? Yeah, I think I was cross-training during it. Yeah, but, but I you, remember came, the... you came back and watched. Yeah. Watched it. Uh, it was a good day for the win. Oh, Yeah. Sorry, I was excited it, it, to see the Gide win, winning and Gide winning in a kick as yeah. well, but like controlling the race well. Rapid finish. Well, like the big thing looming over the whole race was Safan Hassan, right? She'd had that one weird five thousand at a high school in Portland. Safan, the reigning world world champion and Olympic champion in the ten thousand, the reigning world champion in the fifteen hundred. She is one of the greatest distance runners to ever live. She won the five k at Tokyo as well yeah and she won the 5k in tokyo as well but you know she hasn't raced all year except for this one wacky unimpressive race at a high school track in portland like the week before worlds what's she gonna do is she gonna be there and she just hung at the back and people were dropping off and she'd go by the person dropping off and you're just you're just waiting to see whether you know god mode safan would materialize and she almost did she made a big move uh, on the last lap but just it was so much fun to watch all that wind up all the tension build you know, you could just hear another one bites the dust play <laughs> as the leaders cranked up the pace and you saw each lap another runner drop off the back and it's like, who's going to be next? Who can hold on? It was really exciting. And I saved the women's 10,000 and 5,000 because I saw people say that they found the 5,000 disappointing. But I think one in the... No, I love the 5,000. In, in the overall con- context of 10,000, it's interesting. But... Who says the 5k was disappointing? Quite a few people. And I think it wasn't helped, and I don't want to like slam them too hard, but the commentators were saying, oh, this, is a, this isn't very fast. Right? This, this is not a very fast 5k. Right? When it was and like 14, they, 30 they, they started out slow, but pretty quickly, the Tessabek Gire and Gudaf Sagai, two Ethiopian women, traded leads. And this was very fun to watch. They traded leads. They knew that a fast race helped them. They started, I loved it. They were chit-chatting. They were like... They were constantly going back on the strategy, clearly discussing their tactics. And they were just ripping 68, 69, 68, 69. They were like going for yeah, it. Yeah, what are they talking like, about? That's no, like 14, like, 30 pace. That's like 14, 20 yeah. pace. Like this is like phenomenal pace. It was like over 30 Celsius, which is like 88 Fahrenheit or whatever. And these women are ripping like world lead pace. Gudef has already run the, the 1500. Gide's already run the 10,000. And they are just hammering this. But to finish out why I loved it so much is that Gide won the 10,000 and like a good teammate, or as a good teammate, she then sets it all up on a silver platter for Gudef. Gudef kicks home, 60 second last lap, despite having a really big wind up beforehand. And you think Gide, you know, world record holder, you know, she won the 10,000, obviously very competitive. How happy she was. She looks so happy for Gudef that Gudef won that medal. Like she was hugging her, she was smiling, she was draping the flag, the Ethiopian flag over Gudaf. Like, that's Gudaf's first outdoor gold, gold. Yeah. medal. She tried to get it in Tokyo. I think she got bronze in the end. 
Yeah, which, and I know she was, like, disappointed that. She, like, definitely wanted to get the gold. And so it was really good to, like, finally see her get that gold medal. She tried so hard in the 1500. And it's, like, you know, I'm a big Faith fan, so I'm torn. But I I just, you could tell how much Gudaf wanted it. And Gide, I just really love her energy. And I don't know her super well, but, like, the times that I've interacted with her on the circuit, she has, like, a kindness that radiates from her. And you can definitely see that on the screen when you see her. The way she treats her teammates and her competitors. There was just, like, such an affection that she showed Gudaf. I want to say she came, like, sixth or seventh. I don't think it was that far back. I think it was, like, fifth or something. Firing up the laptop. Yeah, sounds good. Fact, we can fa- fact check this. Live fact checking. <laughs> Okay, so she came fifth. Yeah. So like, she got fifth. You're the world record holder and you're coming fifth in your event. Like most people would be, can see that as being a bit of a disappointment because mm-hmm. um, she's clearly in good shape given that she won the 10,000. But like setting that up for Gudef clearly took something out of her. But there's zero disappointment on her face. I know. Yeah, it like, was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe also she was like thrilled to get her gold as well after being, you know, the world record holder. She came second in Doha, third at the Olympics, and then this was her first global gold. Yeah, that was a very... The 5K I thought was fascinating. I yeah. loved watching it. And yeah, it definitely annoyed me when the commentators were saying that they weren't going... They, that they weren't going fast. It's like, guys, you guys are spoiled. All right? Yeah. They're sure the first K was slow, but it's like they're ripping like sub 1430 pace. There's only like, I think, two North Americans who have gone under 1430 pace or 1435 K. Correct. So, like, okay. So, yeah, you know, they were going fast. Anyways, and it was hot. Fast. And I love the team dynamic. I love that. I love, I love they were helping, strategy. Helping each other, working together. Because, mm-hmm. again, like, you are representing your, your country. And, like, they're not training partners. They're in different training groups, as far as I understand. Mm. But they're still working together. And I oh, think, the other Ethiopian. Cool. Who was it? Was it Sam? Who was the third? Yes, I believe Sam. And Sam came third, I mm-hmm. think. Who was second? It was Gudaf. Was it? Beatrice Chibet. Um, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. Anyway, there you go. We were right. Oh, okay, yeah. we were right. Yeah, so yeah. Gudef gold. Beatrice, Beatrice Chibet from Kenya in second. And then Dawit Sam yeah. got bronze. That was super cool. I have a handy segue. Ooh, because handy segue. Team strategies to make sure that the race was finished in an honest fashion. They didn't burn out too much, letting it all be on one person. A general seasonal highlight. Mm-hmm. And that's Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Oh, yeah. And I think it's relevant because it's a very good question of how do you beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen in a 5,000 meter? He can run 1248, but he can also run 328. So he can run 1248 for the 5,000, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he can also run 328 in the 1500, which is also ridiculous. For non-super-duper track types, traditionally, if you have someone who's got a faster finishing kick, they're good at a sprint finish, well... They might not be so good at pushing it for a whole race, right? So you take someone like Jakob Ingebrigtsen who does the 1500 meters and the traditional strategy if you want to beat him is, well, I'll just make the race really hard and fast. Well, Jakob's going to survive that. Mm-hmm. And there are so many other guys. You've got Chetskaya, you've got Kaplimo, you've got Mo, you've got Gran, you've got all these guys. If you make it fast, you're just pacing them to a quick time. Right? And a medal. And they're probably going to beat you. But if you don't make it fast, well then the crazy fast 1500 meter guy is going to smack you. You've got a very Mo Farah-esque situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a segue because Gide and Gudaf work together to share the lead. I think 
out of fear of Hassan. They mm. wanted to make sure that if it was a kick finish, they wanted to make sure that Safan still had to work for it. Because she had a great last lap. And that's what they did in Tokyo. They left it to the last, really the last lap or two. I mean, in Tokyo it was hot and humid, so you don't really, it's tough to make a race fast and honest. But yeah, you had a similar thing in Eugene where it was like the middle, I feel like it was like the middle of the day or early afternoon. So it was also hot, not as humid maybe, but hot. I definitely think they, you know, just like if you have the opportunity to weed out the fast finishers and string out the field early, the fewer people you leave it in, leave in the race in the last lap, the better. Yeah. And that's what I think. I think you're going to have to work as a team. That's your best shot for like Jakob. With Jakob. Because if if you work hard, if you do all the hard work yourself, there are too many guys who will beat you. But if you work as a team, you know, if you have like Joshua Chept guy, Kaplimo and Kisa, the three Mm -hmm. Ugandans, if they work together and target Jakob, you could get somewhere, you know? Pick I feel anything. like I didn't see many team strategies in the men. Were there? No, not not clearly. I don't think. And then if you have like any of the three Ethiopians or the Kenyans, like both Ethiopia and Kenya are very strong in the five thousand right now, but they didn't get it done like a uh, Gide and uh, yeah, Gudaf. And then uh, you know up, up here in North America, like you know having Mo and Grant and Woody and whomever else is in that race, you know they're all teammates on BTC see what they can do i mean that that's tougher but i feel like we did a bit of team stuff in maybe one of the heats yeah i think so yeah that was cool yeah so like yakko more broadly the dude raced a ton he raced a bunch of events he wanted to race more but was limited by i think he wanted to do the ten thousand in european championships mm. but it's not just the amount of racing and that he's good it's the style the man's got style, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the water table. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Going, oh, going to the water he... table in Eugene, waving at the crowd. The the interviews. Oh my the gosh. Shit talking the interviews. shit talking. The water table. I forgot about that. You know, Before he goes up to the front, he's like, "Oh, that was so iconic. That was right. iconic. It was iconic." Right? And then the who? Okay, okay, okay. Who goes to the water table first twice. of all? In a 10k on the track, never happens because it's like it's happens, it's yeah. it's out of the way, you know. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going like pedestrian, but it's like it's out of the way. Not only did he do it, he did it in a 5k. Like the disrespect, honestly. Yeah, the disrespects and but and two times in a row, he's like, oh yeah, I just was like, I was feeling a little dry in my throat. <laughs> just had to before I did my big push from the front. I'm like, oh my god, this guy, just the confidence, yeah. just the. The self-assuredness, I just, the sh- yeah, the shit-talking, I love it, but so the, good. the shit-talking, you know, the, I can't help if my opponents aren't better. Yeah, no, he's um, like, I mean, you can't be disappointed if, uh, when, when your opponents aren't, aren't better, or something like that. Yeah, it, it's a commentary, you know, oh, I think some people maybe expended a little too much energy behind me, that's, you know, that is good for the sport. It can blow up in your face, and I think related to that, I loved all year, I loved the shit-talking from, like, Ollie Hall. Saying Josh Kerr is a bit outclassed, just calling people out on the Coffee Club podcast. Josh Kerr saying, listen here, son, how many medals do you have? And then when you shit talk, you're putting your neck on the line (laughs) and you are just asking to be made a fool of yourself. But when it pays off, it's entertaining. It's iconic. It's iconic. And when it doesn't pay off... It's hilarious, so it's entertaining, right? Yeah. Like, cr- like you just gotta have good enough confidence that you can swallow your pride. <laughs> and it's a win-win both way for the yeah. fans. Like, so when Jakob comes around with one hundred to go and waves to the crowd in Eugene, well, that's fun. 
when Craig Engels does it at the exact same spot and then loses to Jordy Beamish at Prefontaine last year, it's friggin' hilarious. So it's like, either way, we're winning. So Jakob is a thumbs up for me, not just for like racing a bunch, not just for being fast, but for racing in an entertaining fashion and then for being engaging and entertaining off the track as well. And I'd love to see more of that from other athletes. So that, that, can, that can be a, a listener question of the week. Which athletes should Gabriella call, oh my call out next season? No. What personal rivalries or uh, shit talking should she engage in next year? You know, it's hashtag good for you, the sport. You know what people are going to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, as if I haven't done no, enough. <laughs> no, 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 you, you don't. Because it's like, you know. Wh- it's on shit talking, let, I guess. Let, let, but let me like, rephrase. Oh my God. What kind of uh, shit talking or what? Which athletes should Gabriella try try start a rival with? So you know we had the big ones this year. Faith Kipiegon. She doesn't know that we've been rivals since. <laughs> what was that, Captain? <laughs> they don't. They. She Co- might not know it. Cooper Tears. Jakob may not know it, but we've been rivals since. Faith may not know it, but we've been rivals since 2016. No, no, you raced each other in Bidgosh World Junior Cross Country <gasps> in 2014. When I came like a hundredth, <laughs> and she won. Now you know, baby. Anyway, let us know which athletes Gabriella should start beef with next year. Oh my um, god. Yeah, no. I, think, I think that'd be good. It'd be hashtag good for the sport. I know Jakob. Because you also know if a woman did it, they want to be able to get away with it. But yeah. anyways, that's, that's just the patriarchy, the patriarchy. isn't it? Alright, All so, done. okay. You stole in my Jakob thing. Should I tell the people about my parasocial relationship with Jakob? I think... The people have to know about your parasocial relationship. Maybe you want to explain I, what a parasocial relationship okay, is. Okay, so para, actually, what is it technically? A, from my understanding, a parasocial relationship is when it particularly happens with like celebrities and fans where you don't know the person, but because you have a lot of details about their personal life, you feel like you know them, even though you're just consuming media about them what oh is it bad I'm what laughing, does it mean I'm laughing why are you I, laughing i just got the definition off and so yeah gabriella's psych specialist from undergrads so. okay wait can i finish what i was yeah, what yeah, i was yeah, gonna go say and then you say it okay so where was i so you feel like you have a relationship with this person because you're getting a lot of intimate knowledge about them because of what they're pro- like projecting on social media or whatnot but you actually don't know them so it's very much like a one-sided relationship the definition when you google parasocial relationships Okay. The definition and why I laughed. Parasocial relationships are one-sided relationships where one person extends emotional energy, interest, and time, and the other party is completely unaware of the other's existence. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! So I don't know if uh, I don't know if Jacob is a listener on the um, on the pod. Oh my god! I got but, uh, yeah. Hopefully not. Does Does he know you exist? Probably. I mean, like, I hope so. Probably. I. Uh, that, that's the girl with the funny hair who I see around the circuit, you know? Like, I I feel like I'm good enough in the women's 1500 that I would know of the men who are comparably as good as me in the men's 1500, you know what I mean? And yeah. I know he's a hot shot, like, you know, so maybe he's not as aware of the people beneath him. But, like, I feel like I'm good enough that he would know who I am. We actually were in a taxi together once oh, at the really? Zurich Diamond League, I think it was. Or was it Brussels? So I can't he, remember. He, he should, he should I feel like he shouldn't. Well, I know, but, but we then again, talk. I mean, I, <laughs> shared, I shared a taxi with Sean and Meloibo and 
yeah. I don't think she knows who well, I am. Well, sometimes it's like, I don't know, you know, it was like, I, I barely knew him at this point. He was just like the new, like the really, really young kid who was like super talented. This was yeah. like in 2019. Mm-hmm. So he was like making moves, but he wasn't like, you know, I don't know. He was 12. Or and you got, and you kind of get the sense of like, I wasn't sure he, I didn't know if he spoke English or not. And like, sometimes when you like land in an airport, you don't know how long other people have been traveling for and like people just want their space and like go to the hotel. And it was the day before the Diamond League final, I think. I can't remember. But that, that sounds right. He was in he raced the fifteen hundred the next day. <laughs> or at the same day you raced. Yeah. Anyways, but so that's you, really so funny. You have a parasocial relationship. I have a parasocial relationship where, with Yaka. Which she may or may not know you you exist. Yeah. <laughs> because they the Ingebritsons have a TV show called Team Ingebrigtsen. Team Ingebrigtsen. I almost said keeping up with the Ingebrigtsens. That would be an accurate it's, title, it's to be honest. What it is. It's keeping up with the Kardashians, but Team But Ingebr- butter, because it's but, trash. But the Ingebrigtsens. And Ingebrigtsens. And so it's in Norwegian, and they have English subtitles on YouTube, and Rowan and I watch, and it's extremely entertaining. entertaining. And although they are a lot more intense than my family was, the the sort of like how running is a family affair thing really resonates with my experience. My dad didn't coach us, but just that kind of like familial, the the culture around running, how it's also family culture, I relate to. But then also in this show, like there's footage of Jakob from like how young is he? Like twelve. From twelve, yeah. From when he's twelve, and the the show started almost a decade ago after. So Henrik Ingebrigtsen won the European Championships in 2013. And so they started getting footage after he won that championship. So yeah, Jakob right. was like 12, 11, 12 at that point. And so they filmed the show several seasons worth all the way to Tokyo last year. Mm-hmm. So when they started filming, Henrik was the star. And Jakob's like, oh, it's this kid who's pretty good for a 12-year-old. Yeah, and yeah. And well, had cameras on this guy for eight years yeah. as he emerged, turned into an Olympic champion. And... And something about seeing young Jakob reminds me so much of my little brother, Nicholas, who is 10 years younger than me. So he's 17 now. But, and it's funny because Rowan sees it. But when I explained it to Nicholas, he was like, I don't see it. It's like, it's not, he kind of looks similar to Nicholas, but they don't really look alike. But it's the way that they act sometimes. It's just that like shit disturbing little brother kind of energy that they both bring to the table sometimes. And I think there's also maybe some like Gen Z like internet culture that they both consume Consume that some of the things that they say are similar. So like there was one one moment where he like, like Philip was saying something or his dad was saying something and then Jakob goes, <laughs> ooh yeah. And Nicholas would say that all the time. In the exact same way. In the exact same way. And there was other things too, like, I don't know. And then Nicholas never knew what I was talking about, except for like when I showed him like the Ogay clip. He was like, "Okay, yeah, I see, I see that. That's funny." Because Nicholas was obsessed with saying that, and he was especially obsessed with saying "Oogie Boomer." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I'm not a boomer, Nick. Like Papa's a boomer. Like, <laughs> but he would say that, and it would drive Lou nuts, particularly. Anyways, and then there was a reel that they posted at Saint Moritz. Where it was yeah. Henrik and was it Henrik and Philip or I was think, it Henrik and Martin? Henrik and Philip, yeah. Okay, it was or, one. I think it might have been no, Martin. It wasn't Martin. It was Christopher. Oh, it was Christopher. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're all brothers. All these Martin, Christopher, Henrik, Philip, Jakob, and then what's the girl's name? Ingrid. Ingrid, and then the youngest one. I can't remember the youngest one. 
yeah, I'll be really Ooh, fast. I'm sorry, we I'm... forgot your little one's name, but they have like a littlest brother. So they were in St. Moritz, and Henrik and Christopher were doing an interval, and so the reel starts out with the camera on them, and then as it's panning the shot, who enters the shot but Jakob just like exactly blocking them, and he's making this like silly face. And I was like, this is Nicholas energy. And I sent it to him, Nicholas. And he's like, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. And so it's just like, anyway, so for whatever reason, I've like, I just, I have this weird, like, I got really nervous watching this 5K because as dramatic as a 1500, okay, so this is like, as dramatic as a 1500 was because <laughs> Kiago reminds me of Nicholas, he looks so upset after the 1500. And I was like, I cannot have Nicholas be so upset again. So this 5K, I was like so nervous for him. <laughs> and I was like, hard to watch. <laughs> and I should have, I, I kind of like was like relieved when he was like, you know, but then it's also tough because like Mo's in the 5K and I was like pulling for Mo. Yeah, but it was like, it's funny. I don't know. Is that TMI? <laughs> I know. We, we can decide on the dressing room floor how much of this we keep. But, but yeah. But genuinely though, I think, it is. It's on YouTube. Maybe we check a link, you know, and we get referral bonus from Norwegian oh, national television yeah. f- for all the views we send their way. But it is very interesting, I think, to s- to get that insight. I remember we were watching the, we watched the episode that shows Jakob winning the twenty, the Tokyo Olympics in the fifteen hundred, and we mm-hmm. watched it with. Did we watch it with Mo? No, no, Mo, Mo, Mohamed watched it himself. We mm-hmm. we watched it. It is a great encapsulation of Mm -hmm. everything emotionally that the support group of a professional runner go through watching a big final like for me it was an extremely emotional experience watching that episode because i was i was exhausted after watching that episode i felt like i had done the olympics all over (laughs) not actually but like and and you see the family at home in norway watching on the big tv and sadness everything they're going through emotionally the stress the excitement and it sums up very well. I identified a lot with that aspect as being, you know, professional support person. Mm-hmm. Um, I really identify with that. And yeah, I think if the the family aspect of uh, remind me a lot of your family, like there's a yeah. national championship in Montreal in mm. 2019, and I think the final count for watching Gabrielle and Lucia race between my family who came out and Gabrielle's family came out was approaching almost 30 people at this championship because it was accessible and it's a very similar vibe with the Ingebrigtsons of, you know, mm-hmm. wherever they're going for a big meet, you, they always have just an army of people following and just everyone being super bought in. Yeah, and obviously the dynamics of, like, having a dad who's, like, super passionate and his mm-hmm. support of the track and whatnot. Reminds me but, of my dad. Yeah, you, you'll yeah. hear him. There are, there are some live streams where if Jamie Stafford is in the building, like, you will you'll be able hear. to hear him Go, yelling, Gabriella! Um, go Lucia no gaps <laughs> oh my god no gaps cursed <laughs> I have PTSD from that word or phrase but the, the saga of the men's 1500 to 5k and that kind of storyline as a narrative was definitely one of the highlights because the men's 1500 what an upset Jake Whiteman that was incredible like last 200 and especially in the last 100 you're like thinking at 200 you're like okay he's just like making his bid for the medals but then he holds on to it and that was like incredible yeah and then Jakob being pissed and then coming back to the 5k and just doing 
carnage. Yeah, doing great. Death, destruction. We are pulling for Mo. We know he'll be back for... He'll be back next year. He's hungry. He's hungry. Angry Mo is a dangerous Mo. Definitely. Okay, so two other things. I don't know if you have more on your list, but I wanted to do a shout out to the Canadian women's throws. That was super fun to watch. Cameron Rogers, Sarah Mitten, Jillian Weir. Cameron came second, Sarah Mitten fourth, and then Jillian came fifth. Cameron and Jillian in the hammer throw and Sarah Mitten in the shot put. And that was just super exciting to see. Um, I know like the, all of the, the people we sent in like the women's distance were great. We definitely had a lot of did not shows on the on the on the distance side for the Canadian women. The team was cursed. Like the yeah, the <laughs> distance team on the women specifically, it was like well, I was I, injured, I'm Andrea injured. was injured, Julianne was Melissa, injured, Melissa. I was a baby. Yeah, I, yeah, it's like more positive, but yeah. Justin Knight was injured. True. Like, Mo raced, but like he, he was, was dealing with injury. injury. He yeah. was like trying to limp to the start line pretty much. Yeah. So, Glenroy, what's his last name? Gilbert. Yeah, that's one, yeah. Glenroy Gilbert, head coach of the Canadian track team. He was definitely just, every email that winds up in his account, he's probably like, are you kidding like, me? This distance squad is like went, freaking the headache. Having, having one of its best years yeah. ever. And then it's just like someone. Especially on the women's side, because it was we had a full 5K, full 15, somebody in the 10K, which doesn't always happen. And, and then even people who didn't make it. And then the marathons like, were great. Yeah. Anyways. I mean, Cam. Oh, yeah. Cam. Oh, my gosh. I knew I was going to forget things. That was cool. That's I, That should have been my top list. Cam coming fourth in the marathon. So great. I love that. Because, yeah, I mean, like, that was... He's been so good for so long and just, like, hasn't... Like, had that really great marathon, I think it was in 2018 or 2019 at Scotiabank, where he set the Canadian record, and then just kind of had bad luck, like, just didn't have, couldn't find a rhythm. I loved how he talked about, in his post-race interview, that you train, you train primarily to be in the race when the race starts. Like, that's the dream when you're training. More so than, like, getting a medal, you know? And after a few marathons of just like not being in it when the race started at like, I don't know, in the marathon, maybe 30 K and just being kind of like the wheels are falling off and you're disconnected from the pack. Like he just talked about what a thrill it was to be in the race when the race started in the marathon and how that was just such like a, like a blessing. I just love that framing of it, getting away from just the, the hunger of just trying to get a medal and, and putting everything on just like this piece of freaking this piece of, this just thing, right? Mm-hmm. I just love that attitude that he had. So that was really cool. That was very special. But yeah, back back to the throws. They they were pulling their weight for the for the women. Cameron Rogers got our first medal for women in the field events at a world championships. Which Poss- is kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Second. <laughs> what I love was it her first throw of the heats of Com- of Commonwealth Games. Throws the Commonwealth Games. Right? Oh yeah, that was good. But that's that's pretty. That's a pretty big. That's a pretty big statement. Entry statement, and then you know, mic drop moment. I think at Commonwealth Games it was Cameron. Cameron won, and did Jillian come third? I think so. Uh, it was really cool to see Jillian. Jillian came fifth. I don't. I don't really know what her goal was. I think her goal was primarily to make the final in the hammer throw at Worlds, 
I'm not sure she was expecting to come as high as fifth, but it was really cool to see her her do that. Like I remember yeah. at London 2017, I don't think she was able to hit a single mark because apparently the cages at World Championships are set up slightly differently than like NCAA's. So she was struggling to like find her arc. And so she kept throwing into the cage. And so to see her go from like London 2017 to coming fifth at Worlds in Eugene in 2022, like that's really exciting. So I'm excited yeah. to see where she goes. So yeah, Commonwealth Games. Yeah, she got, Jillian got bronze in that. Okay, yeah. And Cameron won gold yep. in commies. And Sarah Misson won gold in Commonwealth Games as well. So good. And and Nakax. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was a great year to be a Canadian thrower mm-hmm. on the women's side, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was super cool. Very fun to watch. And then my last top moment is the women's 1500 meter final at Worlds. Discipline bias. Yeah, I know. I am discipline bias in this ranking, which, forgive me. But, I don't know. Do we need to talk about it? It was... We don't need to talk about it. It's fun. It's fun. It was fun. We, we, did, we did a big breakdown and an unpublished episode. And I think we can go... And today... So today was the uh, Fifth Avenue Mile mm-hmm. road race in New York which was won by Gabriela's old training partner, Laura Muir, in mm-hmm. definitive style. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was excellent. I'm laughing in my head because that was that was the joke from a couple of years ago in Doha when Gabriella had a breakout year and the BBC commentators were incapable of mentioning you without referencing that you were Laura Muir's training partner. Did you, did you hear? Then, yeah, 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 yeah. And you then at Commonwealth Games, where they introduced Lucia as Lucia Stafford, the younger sister of Gabrielle Dubuque Stafford, Laura Muir's former training partner. <laughs> I died. I'm like, oh my God, they can't say my name without saying Laura Muir's training partner or Laura Muir's former training partner. For those who don't know, I used to train with Laura Muir, who's British 1500 meter runner. And I died when they that turned was, that it was very to funny. Lucia Stafford's sister of Laura Muir's former training partner. Yeah, that was pretty Like... Special. Hilarious. But I think just two minutes on her season. Well, I, I think, because we've talked a lot about Eugene. Mm-hmm. It's basically it's all been about Eugene. I know. It is the world championships. With Laura, she had an awful stress fracture at the start of the year. Stress reaction, I think. Oh, just stress reaction? Yeah, but it was, the, it was a femur. She had a big femoral bone injury mm-hmm. um i know in march she was still on the alter g so you know the, the season opens up in may two months of the season and you aren't even running full time on the ground olympic silver medalist she's quality but that's a big thing to overcome and then you know she shows up in pre and runs whatever she runs and that's not the laura that everyone knows and it's very surprising well superficially very surprising she didn't look the best when she went and raced in Rome. And it was kind of like, oh, crap, you know, that's, that's too bad. Then she comes screaming back and just like absolute gut, guts out a bronze medal, run 355 worlds. And then, uh, you know, Commonwealth gold, Commonwealth bronze in the 15 and the 8. And then a Commonwealth gold in the 1500. She didn't do the European. Eight. Gold. It's also European gold in the 1500 as well. And then smashes it the uh, Fifth Avenue mile today. So it was is, it is a lot of fun watching, you know, the, the old form is temporary, class is permanent, and she really showed her class this year. 
I agree. She and dog. I just love she a dog. She a dog. <laughs> and I love just like Fifth Ave today just perfectly encapsulates 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 a lot of things about a Laura. lot of things about Laura. Just the way that Fifth Ave usually amongst the pros is like a part not a party race, but it's like everyone's tired. We were just in Zurich 48 hours ago. We're tired. The season's over. It's the last race of the season. Apparently there's a great after party afterwards and people are just there just to have a little fun. And the way that Laura just like absolutely puts the boost to everybody halfway in this race and just puts herself in such a hurt box. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, for what? (laughs) 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 Who was I just quoting? (laughs) That was uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Oh, Kimi Raikkonen. For what? (laughs) For what? (laughs) There you go. It's just like... It's like the girl just couldn't couldn't settle for just kicking it to the line in the last four hundred meters. She had to go hard at halfway and just she was in she was in pain. But yeah, it's but just like, like it took several attempts for her to be helped up off the ground at the end. Yeah, she just like she's always like, Go hard, go home, man. Yeah. That is that is This is this is what I got. It. What do you got today? Keep yeah. up. Anyway, yeah, I just thought that's just, like, so Laura. Like, she just, like... Can't half-ass anything. No, she's so good. And her brain is definitely, like, one of her biggest... In in terms of, like, working with her, like, her brain is definitely, like, one of her biggest assets in this sport, at least. Just because she, she knows how to work hard. She knows how to, like... She just takes it one rep at a time and is just very mindful. She respects the hurt of a workout. But she just... She just does it because it, like, has to be done. Yeah. And I just think, like, Fifth Ave was just, like, such a... Great example of that. A great example of and that. Just the whole season. Yeah. For to not be demoralized by those early races. Yeah, she's so good at that. It doesn't get in her head. It'd be so easy to just be like, oh well, yeah, I had this femoral stress reaction or stress fracture, whatever. Coming back, I had a fantastic year last year. You know, I've got a brutal travel schedule because she had to go out to pre and then back to the UK. You know, all these championships. It'd be very easy to just mail it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, to or to lower your expectations, but she didn't lower her expectations. She didn't lower her standards. She just still threw the kitchen sink at it. Yeah, and that's when I thought Laura was going to be okay for Worlds. Is when she said after those kind of eh, opening races that her training was going really well. Because like Laura's not one to bullshit. Like if training's going well, she knows that she has the fitness. That woman's fifteen hundred was really fun to watch. Crazy first lap, fifty nine second. They tried to play team tactics. Gudaf and Mich- was it Mashesha? Gudaf and Mashesha. Yes, it was Mashesha. They played team tactics for like maybe six hundred meters, and then Mashesha like died. Well, yeah, Mashesha was meant to take over, take the lead from Gudaf. But, but she, like, but Gudaf opened up at a fifty nine because that's popped. just that's just the way Gudaf goes, uh, you know. I think it was fifty eight point nine, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe it was 58.9. Yeah, Gudaf was like 58.9. I guess I have it in my head 59 because I would have been like in fourth. So I'm like, okay, I would have been at 59 probably. Hmm. Uh, so that's probably why 59 stuck in my head. But yeah, that was very fun. I enjoyed the smack talking from Faith and Gudaf. I will say Monaco, Faith's world record attempt. I feel like it was an unofficial world record attempt, but it was a world record attempt. Mm-hmm. And her coming number two all-time to the world record. I really hope she gets another opportunity because I really think she can get get that world record. It'd be super cool to see her break 350. But yeah, it was just like really neat because Faith is such a racer that she doesn't always like fully unleash. And yeah, that like that was cool to see her get number two. What was it in the end? She ran 350 point something mid. Because I think Debaba ran like 350 low, low, low. So that was cool. Love the 1500. 350.07. 
Put it above. Oh, shit. It's really that close. Damn. Yeah. 350.37 foot base. 0. 0.7. 0. 0.37. Oh, 0.37. Yeah. Oh, come on, Faith. You got to be the first woman to break 350. That's why Dababa ran 0.07, so Faith could be the first to break 350. Very respectful of Gazebe. Very respectful. It came the nice of short. A lot of this has all been about Eugene. Yeah. Um, and like, guys, it's September 11th. And Eugene was, like, mid to late July. Like, a whole bunch has happened between now and then. Yes. But in terms of meaningful things that stand out from the season, Eugene, like, the World Championships do stand tall. So my negative here is the calendar. Yeah. I still find it really weird that in track and field, you have the World Championships, the event of the year, Mm -hmm. and then you have six weeks of regular season following it. It's kind of like, again, imagine if you had regular season games after the Stanley Cup finished. Imagine if you had more games after the Champions League final in soccer or after the Super Bowl, you had another six weeks of play. Yeah. Like, you, like the thing that matters most to all these athletes is worlds from mm-hmm. like a mental and emotional level and then from a financial level quite often as well. Good performance at worlds will be like the gateway to bigger and better contracts and like bigger and better rankings and whatnot like that's the key and like world athletics wants it to be the key so you have all these athletes peaking for worlds and then it very much becomes a case of who survives who dies the least yeah. and then also who happened to like be injured at worlds or like miss worlds because i know like they're american and they've got a crazy good team so they're a bit fresher mm-hmm, and then they didn't have to peak. can be resurgent. And like those storylines are great. You know, the redemption tours or the revenge tours, however you want to define them. Mm-hmm. Like they're great. Like I love, for example, watching Sage Herter like really get stuck in and really grow in this post-world season in the 800. Yeah. Um, that's Agreed. really fun. Same with Kate Grace last year, also American in the 800 meters. But you want there to be a finale. I think that really matters to the sport and also it just makes the quality better um, yeah. of the racing overall when it builds. Like Doha 2019. We it was really good because the whole year, and it was funny because everybody noticed how different like the Zurich Diamond League final felt in 2019 compared to usual years because usually it's pretty laid back. It's pretty like da-da-da. But there was still like a tension in the air at Zurich mm-hmm. because there was going to be a world championships in a month. So this was like, the last dance before the last dance. It's like the second last hand of your poker game or whatever, you know? And the cool thing about 2019 is that like you build suspense throughout the entire season. No one would have thought in 2019 I would have been in the running for the medals based on my first three races in the 1500. But I learned so much. Yeah. Or even July. Like July you were running well. But I hadn't broken ran, four yet. hadn't broken four yet. But then you run Zurich and run... And then I start, I come top three in Monaco. I come second in Birmingham. And then I come top three... In London. In, oh yeah, in London too. And in Zurich. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of top threes. Yeah. Anyways, by Zurich, it's like, damn, like this debut Stafford kid is really coming on strong. And so I feel like that's like the whole fun of watching like the Diamond League season is the suspense building. You yeah. know, like who's working a bit too hard too early who's like training through the races like what do they got do they have more are they going to get more in this last month before yeah. doha and then gudaf like didn't do well at zurich but then like went back to ethiopia and like finds another two three seconds and even in the semi she was like looking eh. but in the final like she just yeah. gets dragged because she loves the front run she gets dragged and then she gets Doesn't have to front she, run. and she gets 
bronze, right? So it's just like, yeah, it's just like very exciting. Yeah. Some of the best parts of this year were the women's 800, like, oh, okay, like Keely coming on strong in the 800 in the Diamond Leagues and looking phenomenal. It was like, oh, how's the thing going to respond? And then Mary Moore has that great race in Stockholm and blows the doors off Keely. And it, it's all like, oh, and it's all kind of gonna, it's all going to come down to this in Eugene for World Champs. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is like, it's fun. I'm a massive track fan. I enjoy it. But like, I, again, it's... I think it's this hard. year... And, and, and it's hard as well because you have the big... You have people start to drop out, right? So after Eugene, like, no Cindy McLaughlin, no Thing Mo, no Ray Benjamin, no Joshua Cheptegei, like, you know, like those are sick people to watch run like mm-hmm. there's so much fun to watch and fair enough if they're exhausted fair enough like yeah you don't want to like risk an injury going over to europe afterwards there's zero incentive for them to run the diamond league season other than pride and like thirty thousand dollars in the diamond league final and frankly if you're one of those top athletes you aren't hurting for an extra thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars right that's a frustrating thing too, from a financial point of view. It's frustrating that the, have to have the world championships first because the money making part of the season, especially in an Olympic year, is at the end of the season. Particularly for a North American, North Americans, it's hard, very hard for you guys to go over to Europe for Diamond League races before Worlds because then you've got to come back for your national championships. But if you had like a buffer between like the Europe, but if you didn't have Worlds in the middle of the summer then you would be able to make like European stints more often. But I just say it's like the money making part of the season, especially if you're like not American to be frank, Mm -hmm. because it's like the prize money is like a significant portion of your income if you're not American. Mm -hmm. And because like, if you're not American, you're not on as big contracts. So, and it's frustrating because you want to peak for worlds. Obviously that's what you're going to do. Like you're in the sport to like do well at the world championships but then when it just becomes like a survival of, of who doesn't die, then it's just tough because then like sometimes you burn out before the end of the season, which is like where you want to make your money. <laughs> so it's just like financially, it's just like a bit annoying. Yeah. And I think this year it was like particularly hard to be super emotionally involved in the Diamond League season post-Worlds because there were so many championships and also Worlds were so early. And that was just a result of COVID, trying to fit in all the championships in one year commonwealth games europeans world championships all in one year regular season races like the diamond league after three major championships it's fun but the suspense is just gone you Mm -hmm. know whereas i feel like in other years if you have the olympics of the worlds and then you have the diamond league it's a little bit more engaging you have the world championships and then you have the diamond league final which is its own kind of version of the world championships but it's like a secondary it's like a world tournament you know yeah. i'm hoping it improves in the future but yeah the schedule is a bit frustrating yeah, and as we, an athlete and a fan we can go on a long run on that and then like the only other thing i had was um throw, throwing it way back automatic qualification like buys to the world champs for mm. reigning world champs or reigning diamond league champs at the end of the day you want to watch the best people in your sport compete against each other yeah like, all the time you know in spoil us it's all about the matchups like you want to see Djokovic versus Nadal in tennis mm-hmm. you know you want to see Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen like hating each other and going all all out against each other. You want to see Jakob v. Chariot. You want to see Jakob v. Chariot. Rye v. It's like, you want to see... Carson. Dos Santos versus Warholm versus mm-hmm. Rye. 
in the 400 meter hurdles and that's my crazy stat of the year is that in five years Ry Benjamin and Carson Warholm have only raced each other five times four really? times four, yeah four times not including semi-finals Damn. which is crazy because like for the last five years they've been the two preeminent athletes in their discipline so again that's related to the calendar but the buys because I'm just remembering it is hard to go to Europe as an American but so many Americans can travel business class that it's kind of like you really have no excuse sorry that's shame we, we, we want to incentivize this for the incentivize matchups for the athletes mm-hmm. and I just think as an negative I throw this out there because this was nowhere more obvious I think than at USA champs mm-hmm. this year where you had situations like in the men's hundred hurdles and again I'm not throwing shade against Grant Holloway, but he had a bye because he was the reigning world champion. He took the bye. Fair enough. Like, could you imagine having an automatic qualifi- qualifier for Worlds and then you fall on a hurdle and injure yourself and miss the world championships? Yeah. Like, that'd be heartbreaking. It but is one it, of the hardest was, parts about being American is you but, still have to mini-peak for your national championships. But as a result, like, I was so excited. I had it in my calendar, like, highlighted. I had highlighted from... Very early on, I wanted to see Trey Cunningham, Devon Allen, Grant Holloway head to head in that USA 110 meter hurdles, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you find out like minutes minutes line. before the race that Holloway's DNSing because he's got a buy. Oh man, that was so deflating! I was so excited for that matchup, and then, and then you didn't get the matchup at Worlds, and then didn't get the matchup at Worlds because uh, Devon Allen got that friggin' DQ, and then we're not ha- getting into that. And hands of parchment. <laughs> hurt himself in the warm-up yeah so it's disappointing and then christian coleman scratching and delilah muhammad scratching like so many people i was like very interested in seeing i will say the difference with delilah and this is where sure delilah was very different because she she was coming back from injury but even if not she like preemptively made the decision you know what i'm not gonna do usas because well, she was injured, but even if she wasn't injured, I want to focus on worlds and I just don't want to deal with the, you know, the theatrics of a national championships because USA's is like, you know, it's like a serious championship. And so if you have a wild card, I don't blame an American for wanting a little bit of a break from doing USA's one year if they have the wild card. 100%. And the thing with Delilah is that she did that in advance. So in advance, you knew Delilah wasn't going to be there. The other guys that you mentioned, they did that very last minute. Like, they were doing the heats. They but, were doing the semis. And then they didn't show up for the final. And that lane was even empty. But Delilah and was allowed because she had an injury. They had to at least... My understanding oh, was they really? were encouraged to at least make the final. Interesting. Otherwise, they may not. They would have a wild card, but they may not have been selected. Oh. But because she had an injury, she was given a whatever. That's silly. It, it is silly. There's, there's lots of... It's interesting because Jenny Simpson one year, because Jenny Simpson had a wild card back in like 2013, I think, because she was the world championship in 2011. Yeah. And she did the 5K instead of the 1500. I think that's like another way how you can like Mm -hmm. kind of like get a break from your main event, but then still. So I wonder if, yeah, like I wonder if it's a rule that you have to compete at USA's at least, even if you're a wild card. Sure. Someone could back check us on that, but. Yeah, you just want to, because then it's the double whammy of one, you get hyped for a race and then disappointed. And then two, that's a lane in the final taken or a spot in the final taken by someone with no intention of running it or who isn't going to run it. Who knows? Maybe someone could have 
you never know how how it goes. I think Marcel, I think Marcel Jacobs qualified as a time cue in Tokyo mm. to get into the final and then or to get into the semis and then he wins gold, right? You can like people on the bubble can still perform. So who knows who missed out on an opportunity to make a team because of that rule? Yeah. So I just highlight those two things is like. And, and then the other one is Safan Hassan. Safan Hassan is entertaining. She's hmm. she's an, an erratic racer. She's an aggressive racer. She gives good interviews. And because she had wild cards for Eugene, she didn't have to race before. And like I know she wasn't like 100% ready, but she was fit enough to get standard, clearly, because she still ran well. Sometimes you have to race when you aren't 100% ready. Like your race at Sam Running this year. You weren't, yeah. you weren't peaked at all. You'd done like a couple of 1500 meter sessions, but you, you wanted a rust buster. And yeah, and you had a rust buster. It was a good opportunity to race against a decent field. And I don't think you, you don't have to be 100% peaks all the time. You don't have to be in well beating form to race. I don't know. It would have been fun to see her race more. Yeah. The sport would be enriched by having her race more. The sport would have been enriched by having those finals matchups for USAs. Those are. My negative takeaways is the calendar. And the wild card. And, and the wild card. I just want to see the best people in the world race with stakes. Fair. Should we do Should we do the training updates at the end so we end on a positive note? How's your last two weeks been, Gabrielle? <laughs> we were going to do this at the beginning, but we'll do it at the end. My last two weeks have been great. Thank you so much for asking, Rowan. I hit some milestones. I did my first hour-long run today with the boys at UVic uh, around Elk Lake. Victorians will know where Elk Lake is. Thought it was very fun to be back with the team as well. It was great. I'm doing back-to-back runs, which is exciting. I was doing runs every other day for like 40 days, I think. And I did my first workout with pickups. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of a fartlek on Tuesday, which is exciting. I'm going to run three days in a row this week, which is exciting. I'm saying which, which is exciting a lot. Now I'm very aware of it but anyways well there's lots of things which are exciting very lots of things which are exciting and maybe i'll do we'll probably do a sacrum update later more in detail but training for me i think that are that that's the updates and so we're starting to think more like getting more serious into training like planning maybe i'll do some races some fall races races, which will be exciting a lot of them will just be kind of like training through it just for like fun But there's like a couple that I kind of want to give serious cracks at. So just stay tuned for that. Do you want to do an update about what's going on with you? I've got recurring knee problem. Yeah. It sucks. But I finally, I've sucked my whole life at riding a bike. I just have always struggled. I find I'm just, I know my lungs are much stronger than my quads. But Hmm. finally managed to get into cycling in the last few weeks. And yeah. Did I tell that one of my followers replied to me? Uh, it was a photo of you changing the tube on my tire of, of Hillary's bike. Because mm-hmm. I'm borrowing Hillary's bike for cross-training. And they said, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> I mean, the club. <laughs> and I thought that was quite funny. Like... Well, okay, but the pipeline for for injured runners oh, to yeah. cyclists is like... Massive. Is I massive. You, you can look at my Strava. It's like you click on the running and you see the graph. And as the run graph goes down, that spikes for the cycling one. Yeah. But it's but fine. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying the new challenge. Um, enjoying getting belligerent with drivers on the road. Oh um, my goodness. But yeah, I enjoy... If you're a driver, <laughs> that's fine. just give cyclists space. 
Give them, okay. Give them space. Remember that if you guys get into a crash, the cyclist will die and you'll be fine. <laughs> you will have a dent. You'll, you can be a minute late to wherever you're going. <laughs> Not even. You can be delayed 20 seconds yeah. for a clear stretch of road for a bus. 90% of drivers are great, but the 10%. Mm. Okay, well, sorry. I've, sorry. I've enjoyed the cycling. Uvic had their tryouts last week. Fun to see so many people try out. Yeah. It's looking like a good team. I the mean, team is so big because we got here so big, yeah. during exams. Yeah. Team is massive. Team's it's very massive. fun. Team's talented. Yeah. Good energy to be around for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and a couple of them listen to the podcast. So, there's this yeah. great brownie points for them. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> get, get guaranteed getting put in the team's top eight. Just, no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, I, my gosh. I do, I do not have that pool. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to like no IP addresses and I don't I don't know I can't deal with the analytics that that intensely and then track news we want to give a shout out to a longtime friend of the pod I she probably doesn't listen but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> Ellie St. Pierre formerly Purrier is pregnant very exciting very exciting we've been friends with her since 2018 when I roomed with her at Milrose Games and she's lovely and I'm so excited to meet their little one yeah, in it's, early it's March. Exciting. Yeah. Congratulations to Yeah, congrats, Ellie. James and Ellie. Yeah. And then also congrats to Kira McGinn. Yeah, 356 baby. Woo woo woo. That was very fun to see. And like what a dramatic way to go sub four. 356 and a Diamond League win. And your first Diamond League win. In a very, very good field. In a good field and good race. Well done. Well executed. That was fun. Yeah, honorable mention to Kira McGeehan for this year. Top moments. All right. Well, That's everything. Do you want to do our little outro? Please do give us feedback. Feedback is very useful, particularly from people who aren't super duper track nerds like myself or like Gabriella. We want this podcast to be both interesting and accessible. Give us your feedback. Let us know topics that you would like us to cover in the future. And yeah, you know, give us a five star rating. I haven't updated my Spotify, so I can't actually rate people five stars. <laughs> Maybe I should do that so I can rate my own podcast. Yeah, you should. In five fact. stars, five stars only. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I think Google Podcasts now. If you for prefer one of, them to one of those, whatever you're listening to us on. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to leave podcast recommendations. You can find us on Instagram at Gabriella Stafford with one L two Fs. If you want to be really counterculture, you can DM me on Instagram. <laughs> Are you private right now or public? Yeah, I'm public right now. Ooh. Me, me, me and my massive Instagram followers. Oh wow, Rowan Debuse Stafford is public on Instagram. You heard it here first. What are you on Instagram right now? Our Debuse Stafford. Our Debuse Stafford. There you go. No spaces. So you can find us there. And until next time, we'll see you in two weeks. Have we design? Bye!